I rarely do this, but I wanted to tell you about something very special coming up this Tuesday, June 30th. Before I dive into the radio show, you have to know that on June 30th, we're doing a very special mid-year mega markdown, one-day discount of all of our programs, including the association, all of our advanced programs like Scientist MBA, PhD CEO, the R&D Society, the Data Scientist Syndicate, the Management Consulting Firm, the Project Management Consortium, our entire advanced program portfolio, and even our technical programs like Expert Cytometry for Flow Cytometry, Expert Microscopy, and Expert Next Generation Sequencing. The biggest discounts we have ever done in the existence of our company will be done on that day for one day only. Enjoy the radio show. I don't believe in no one's scenarios. Data, 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 I cannot make bricks without clay. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. (laughs) Hello and welcome to a very special Cheeky Scientist radio show. Today I'm talking to you about 13 reasons you're not being hired. 13 reasons you're being excluded from the hiring process. You likely think you're being stuck for some general reason, like you don't have industry experience. You think you're stuck because you need a visa and you can't get a visa or it's harder to get a visa currently. You think you're stuck because your PhD background is too specific or special. All of these reasons are lies that you're telling yourself so that you don't have to dig into the actual reasons why you're not being hired. These are lies that you're telling yourself And I know this because I told myself those same lies when I was looking for my first job. And I've seen thousands of other PhDs do the same thing. And then once they stop lying to themselves, once they admit or come to terms with the real reason why they're not being hired, they're able to quickly turn it around and get hired. We are entering a crucial period. We're already in this crucial period of hiring. There is a quote, spark hiring boom end quote, occurring right now. We've seen our internal numbers skyrocket in terms of PhDs getting hired, and we started digging into this. I spent the entire last radio show discussing this, so I recommend you listen to it if you haven't. Here's the short version of it. The pandemic hit. This is known as an unknown unknown in risk management. Nobody could prepare for it. Companies halted their hiring, a massive hiring freeze that affected every sector globally, every country, including academia, hit everyone very hard. If you had not signed an agreement with a company at that point, you had the agreement pulled from you, the interview stopped, uh, recruiters, hiring managers stopped replying to you. Uh, There was a day, uh, really a two, three-day period where this happened um, at unbelievable levels. Newsflash, the second round of that is coming. Okay, so that occurred. The first round occurred in the, uh, depending on where you are, it could have been spring or not, uh, but it occurred at the beginning of the year. Uh, Most of industry, especially the jobs you're looking for, they run on an academic calendar. Think of the conference season or what used to be the conference season, from February to about May, and then again from September to about mid-December, right? That kind of semester, the first semester and and, uh, second semester. Uh, calendar that a lot of pharmaceutical tech companies, uh, biotech, really the whole 
uh, global economy still kind, kind of runs on. Because of this, most hiring is done in the first, first quarter, well, the, the second half of the first quarter, and then the first half of the second quarter, and then the, another huge hiring boom uh, in terms of raw numbers of uh, interviews that occur and overall hiring and, and job gains traditionally uh, then occurs again at the second half of the third quarter and the first half of the fourth quarter. But what's going on during those time periods now in 2020? We had the first wave of the pandemic at the beginning of the year, and the second wave is upcoming quickly. In fact, Germany just shut down, I think, uh, multiple uh, regions, over 500,000 people affected again. Uh, stores like Apple, companies like Apple and others have started to re-shut down their stores. This second wave, in terms of a second wave of hiring freezes, is upon us. So companies now, because they experience that unknown unknown, it's no longer an unknown unknown in terms of risk management. It's now a known unknown. So they know this is coming. They know what's going to happen. There's going to be a massive hiring freeze. They're trying to hire everybody they can right now. We got about a six-week period of hiring. Only five of these weeks are left. Are you going to be hired? If you're struggling, I'm going to give you the real reasons why you're struggling so you can stop fooling yourself now. Number one, you're not addressing the skills that companies actually care about. Maybe you've listened to previous radio shows. You've read some of our cheeky scientist articles. Maybe you're even a member of some of our programs. And you hear me talking about the transferable skills that give rise to the specific technical skills, but you're still evading reality thinking that your impressive sounding technical skill is what's going to get you hired. It is not. You can look at data and surveys, everything that's available, and you'll come up with the same reason that people aren't hired again when it comes to skills. It's a lack of the transferable skills, specifically the interpersonal communication skills, the softer skills. They know that you can learn any technical skills of PhD. A PhD is a doctor of philosophy, knowledge and the ability to ascertain knowledge. You can learn any technical skill, but can you communicate? Are you going to come off as arrogant, awkward, or defensive? Those are the three red flags that we've heard from uh, our interviews with Genetech, Novartis, many others. Some use different names, but arrogance, defensiveness, awkwardness. The skills that you need to put on your resume, on your LinkedIn profile, need to address that you can communicate with people. You have interpersonal skills, but they also need to talk about the broader transferable skills that separate you from other job candidates and will allow you to learn any technical skill, any specific technical skill. Research, analysis, innovation. A lot of the skills we've been discussing that are specific for the recession, flexibility, versatility, technical literacy, project management. This is crucial. If you don't do this, you simply will not get hired. You will not get invited to an infra, uh, you will not get invited to an interview, a phone screen. You will not move past the professional profile stage, which is your resume and LinkedIn profile. So if you haven't updated your LinkedIn profile, your resume, you don't actually want to get hired. If you haven't put your transferable skills at the beginning of every bullet point and threaded them throughout your LinkedIn profile and put transferable skills in your headline specifically, which carries the most keyword strength on your LinkedIn profile, you do not really want to get hired. There's going to be a lot of hard truths today, but this is important for you to understand the real reason that you're being excluded from consideration by top companies while others are getting hired. Number two, you, like me, are a little bit of an elitist when it comes to your skills or getting your PhD. 
you think you're the best of the best. You think you're elite and that you are better than others, which in a sense, you have more education, more training. Yes, that's true. That's objective. But you're not above the process. You're not above the hiring process. You're not going to have executives from Pfizer, from Apple, Google beating down your door to hire you. I thought all I had to do was upload a resume and everything would take care of itself because I worked so hard to get my PhD, my publications, all of these other things that matter in academia. I thought this is what's going to get me hired. I, had a, I have a great publication. I have a PhD. I have a PhD in, in STEM. It's a harder PhD. Whatever we tell ourselves, right? whatever we use as comparisons in academia, industry does not care about. There is a specific process that you are not above. And if you think you're above the process, if you think you're above networking, I cannot tell you how many threads that we have read online. Um, people just complaining online about why they can't get hired. People just complaining and blaming others for the reasons that they can't get hired. People blaming everybody but themselves, blaming everyone rather than changing their behavior and their attitude. People blaming uh, just the fact that cold contacting people or networking exists. Networking shouldn't exist. It shouldn't be this way. It should just be objective based on you know, uh, our objective merits, which is nonsense because even in academia, we have letters of recommendation, right? So that's networking, uh, having somebody else vouch for you, give you a referral. You can hate the idea of having to get referrals. You can hate the idea of networking from scratch, but it doesn't mean you're going to be above it. It doesn't mean you're not going to have to do it. Uh, one of our program leaders for uh, our advanced program, the Medical Science Liaison Alliance, uh, she talked about how she had everything together, her professional profiles, everything, but she had a great PhD background, highly intelligent, of course, publications, et cetera. She thought that was going to take care of it, and she decided to test the waters without networking. What happened? Everything else that she thought was so great didn't matter, didn't get her hired. These are her own words to paraphrase. It wasn't until she realized she's not above the process, she had to network, and that she had to follow the specific networking strategies that we talk about in our flagship program, the Cheeky Scientist Association. That's what got her hired. Setting up informational interviews. This is not cold nosing people. I've heard so many phrases online about people just whining and complaining. These are PhDs whining that they have to talk to another individual to learn about a career track that they want to get into. They think that they should just have a $100,000 career delivered to them. It doesn't work that way. You have to network. You have to build professional relationships. Number three, you are not ready for rationale-based questions. When an employer asks you a why question, you are a deer in headlights. I was this way too. When they said, why do you want this job? I all, all of a sudden got stumped because I didn't think it through. There's a uh, famous news clip for a presidential candidate in the U.S. I forget which year it is. I even forget which candidate where a newscaster asked them why they wanted to be president. The person was stumped, did not have an answer, and because of it, did not get the nomination, did not become president. It's a, a famous case, and it's happened uh, to prime ministers and other people in different countries as well. And if it happens at that level, it can certainly happen to you. You have to know why you want that job. And it can't be because you want to make more money. It can't be because you're tired of getting grant funding. Any rationale-based question you get during a phone screen or any part of the interview process, you need to answer in some way, by talking about how everything that you have done has prepared you for this moment, 
has prepared you specifically for this job in industry? Why do you want this? Why are you leaving academia? Any of those rationale-based questions? Why are you interested in this? Because you had an affinity for it. You were really good at it. You learned quickly. You loved doing it. And everything that you've done, your entire academic career was, was with the sole goal of positioning for you for this position at this company. Number four, you know nothing about the company. You think you know about the company because you skimmed their website. You maybe know their mission statements and values. You need to learn everything you can about that company, anything that's happened in the last five years, maybe even 10 years. What are all of the mergers and acquisitions? Read case studies about that company. This is something that we do in our Scientist MBA program and one of our newest advanced programs, uh, the management consulting firm. You have to read business case studies about that company to see where they came from. What's their founder story? What's their culture, their brand? Learn everything you can about this company. It is a huge mistake because people get into application mode. They apply to a bunch of different jobs and they forget all the jobs they apply to. And they don't do research in all of these companies. They're just blanketing the internet with their resumes, which never works, isn't always is a mistake. I was just interviewing somebody uh, for a job opening at Cheeky Scientist and it was a phone screen. And it was uh, after talking to some of our team members, they'll talk to me. I'll be on the call. And I always like to ask them what they know about the company, an open-ended question just to see how they handled it. And this person started talking about how they were really interested in cannabis and working with medical marijuana. And that's why they were attracted to our company. And I, I know our name is an uh, interesting name, Cheeky Scientist, but I said, you know that we're not a cannabis company. and it just shot the entire interview, right? Not because of anything that we did on our end, but because this person just stumbled from here on out. As gentle as, as a company might be with, uh, you're thinking of the wrong company. Uh, it can happen very, very easily. Now, you might not think that happens to you. It usually happens at the phone stage because it's by audio only, and you might be taking a lot of phone uh, screens. But that's just, that's the worst case scenario. There's a lot of smaller things that'll really get you into trouble. If they ask you about something about the company, and it's not too specific, you're expected to know it. Learn everything you can. You're in research. No matter what your PhD background is, this is where you should thrive. Be able to talk about the company. During the interview, especially the early stages of the interview, they're just looking for a reason not to hire you. They're looking for a reason not to move you forward. And so they're, they're, they're really tuned into any sort of uh, they really have a negativity bias at that time. They're looking for red flags. Like if you have not done your homework, if you're like, if you say, well, I applied to this company because I saw it opening and I thought it would be interesting. That's not specific. Why did you want this job? Why is this job everything that you've been waiting for? If you come off in any way, like you've been applying to many jobs and you just wanted to get into this sector, you're out, you're excluded. Number five, you are ready to give up before you start. Be honest with yourself. You started your job search. You realized you want to get an industry job. You've maybe even seen others get into industry. But the idea of rejection, if you actually give it a name, the idea of putting in a lot of effort and not getting hired, the idea of companies not wanting you, of you having to get off your mountaintop in academia and start at the bottom of another mountain of industry, makes you hedge your bets. You pull back. You think, if I don't put in enough effort, it won't hurt as bad if I face rejection. Look, you're going to get rejected in a job search. It's normal. It's okay. It's part of it's a numbers game, right? There's a quantitative side, but it's also a qualitative side. You can do it. If other people have done it before you, you can too. 
no matter what PhD background, no industry experience, what other obstacles needing any type of visa in any country, which I understand fully. I went and worked in Germany, had to get a visa there. Um, I've seen and helped a lot of people work in the U.S. and need visas too under all kinds of circumstances. These challenges are real, but people have done it before you. And if they have, you can too. You have to commit, which takes me to number six. You're tiptoeing in your job search. So you go in ready to give up, and then you just start testing the waters. You're like, well, what if I just put out some resumes? Maybe I'll get lucky, and it won't hurt if I get rejected because nobody really responds. It's not like I talked to somebody and got my hopes up and got rejected. So you just tiptoe. You're not committed. You have a backup plan. Maybe you say, well, I could just stay in my postdoc. It's not that bad. I, it hasn't been cut off yet. I haven't been laid off yet. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm working for free right now for my PI, but that's okay. I can do this a little bit longer. At least I have a sense of purpose. Or I'm about to graduate. I have nothing lined up yet. Everything will be okay. It'll kind of work itself out. I have time. I'm going to focus on something I'm more comfortable with, like getting my thesis done or getting this next paper done. Your backup plan is ruining your chances of getting hired. You have to burn that bridge. Burn your ships, so to speak. There's no other option but you getting hired into a good-paying industry job. You deserve it. You can do it. Are you... Why are you accepting so less for, so much less for yourself than you're worth? Commit today. Commit to getting hired in this next month. You can get hired in a month. If you get a referral, the average time to get getting hired is 28 to 29 days. Make a decision now. It all starts with a decision. And then take massive action. You need to throw as many things against the wall as possible. We have training for you, of course, so that you aren't wasting time, but you still have to take massive action. Get your resume updated, your LinkedIn profile, start reaching out to people, setting up informational interviews. Do everything you can as much as possible. Go all in. Number seven, you're selfish and self-focused. You're afraid and you can't admit it. You're afraid to reach out to people. You're afraid that you're bothering them. You're afraid that if you try to add value by showing appreciation, et cetera, that they're going to think you're manipulative, that you really want something in return. This is just an exchange of value. Adding value to somebody by connecting with them or asking somebody for an introduction to somebody else and then asking them how they got into their job or what they enjoy about it, that elevates their credibility. That is adding value. Asking for their advice or opinion. Say, I have a PhD too. I was thinking about getting into this sector. Do you have any advice for somebody like me? People love giving advice and opinion so much, they do so very often uh, without solicitation. It's called an unsolicited opinion, which is annoying. In this case, you're asking them. You're elevating their credibility, and you're a PhD asking them. You can do that. Don't send your resume to people you don't know and say, hey, look at my resume. Do you think I could get a job where you work? Don't send people messages about how amazing you are, what university you went to, or all of your different skills, on and on and on. Stop focusing on yourself. Add value. Open yourself up to the discovery mindset that launched you into your PhD career in the first place. What can I learn from this person? What if they decide to help me? If they don't, I'll still learn something. What could they teach me about this career path, about this job? What do I not know? Your ability to step into that discovery mindset is your biggest uh, advantage as a PhD. Number eight. You're not reducing risk or providing certainty. Employers today, especially 
after everything that's happened with the pandemic, the recession that we're in, whether you define that by total job losses or GDP, which is how recessions are defined, we're in a recession. And employers are very risk averse in a recession. They're not thinking about growth, innovation as much as they're thinking about getting people on to keep their current businesses running and to be able to survive. If you're not reducing risk, if you're not coming across as the least riskiest candidate, they're not going to hire you. And the number one way you can reduce risk is by showing them certainty that this is the one job you want. This is your top choice company and top choice position. And everything you've done has prepared you to work in that position and you will not let them down. You should even say those things to them. Now, every company has a pro and con, right? A lot of us are very logical. We're like, well, what if I am considering other jobs? Or what if it's not my first choice? You can find something about that company that will make it your first choice because every company has pros and cons. So find out the biggest pro that that company has over others and say, this is my first choice because of XYZ, which would be that number one pro for that company. Number nine, your, your approach is unorganized. Number nine, any lack of organization, any lack of sloppiness will get you excluded. Remember, employers, especially in the initial stages, I would say all the way through to the 70, 80% stage, right before the site visit or before the final video interview. If you show a lack of organization, if you're not on time for the call, if your resume has typos, there's something on your LinkedIn profile that doesn't make sense in terms of a, a professional narrative, if anything is unorganized, if you don't have your resume ready when they ask for it, you don't have extra copies available when you show up to the site visit. Any lack of organization is highly concerning, especially in the, the current economy. Number 10, you're not adapting to that economy. We're in a recession. You're not re using recession-based language. You haven't changed your approach. You're still trying to just upload resumes and getting multiple offers. That's, that was happening at the end of last year, even in January for some countries. Not so much anymore. You need a referral. You need to get out there. You need more hustle. You have to try harder and you need to come to terms with this. You need to use recession-based language. Talk about risk management, risk mitigation, change management, flexibility, regulatory acumen, things that have to do with reducing risk because you're in a recession. Number 11, you're overcommitted to one industry sector or completely uncommitted, right? The uncommitted people are like, I'll take any job. And that comes through. An employer doesn't want to hear that. Sometimes they'll test you. They'll say, well, if we had this position available in this different department, would you take it? Very often, that's a trick question. You can say, I'd be interested in working in any position at this company because it's my first choice for XYZ reason. However, I think I'm a perfect fit for this job, but I am just open to discussing um, any other options you have available um, as long as you know that I am committed to this position. That's what you want to have come across. Don't be afraid to show commitment. In academia, we, we almost have a commitment mentally purged uh, from our psyche. We think that we can't talk in terms of what I did or what I want or certainty for anything, which is good when it comes to avoiding confirmation bias. It's good to have that when it comes to being critical of the data and making sure you're doing things correctly in a reproducible way. It's not good when it comes to getting a job. You want to show certainty. Any wavering in certainty. Um, and they're going to exclude you. Also, don't be overcommitted. What I mean by that is in your job search during a recession, expand the number of job titles, the sectors that you're applying to. You can expand it 
more than you likely are. Maybe you want to be a medical science liaison. Go after that with everything that you can, of course, but apply to medical affairs associate positions too. Maybe even apply to a closely related department and sector, regulatory affairs, as a regulatory affairs associate. You could also apply to a medical writing position because those are surging right now with all of the remote work. So find four or five different positions, sectors that you can apply to. All of those are related enough that you can tell a narrative about why you want to get into that industry overall. Number 12, you're skipping key details in the process. Every detail matters. Sequence matters. You're just skimming stuff online. You're maybe watching some videos, listening to some radio shows, and you're just picking and choosing purely subjectively what sounds good and what makes sense to you. Oh, I like uploading resume. I like making those changes. I'll do that. Oh, I like this idea about LinkedIn. That's a, that's a good uh, trick. That's a good hack. I'll do that. Informational interviews. Okay, I could ask those two questions. Those are really good question scripts that I learned from Cheeky Scientist. I'll ask those. And I'll just kind of mix and match and do them as I want. doesn't work. You have to pay attention to every detail in the entire sequence, and sequence matters. Think of a protocol or a lesson plan. You can't do the last thing first and the first thing last and think that your experiment's going to work or the lesson plan's going to be executed the same for every class. It doesn't work that way. Do not skip the key details. Details matter. Details are what gets you hired. Do not skip the detail of doing mock interviews. Do not skip the detail of setting up your video camera and testing with somebody else before you get on a video call. Thirteenth and finally, you're emotional. A job search makes us emotional as PhDs. In academia, because of our environment, we like to think we're very logical. I'm sure you've read quotes from some of the best logicians and scientists and uh, inventors and others in the world um, that tell you how emotional we are as people, no matter how logical we also are, especially when we're tired or willpower depleted, et cetera, especially when, it's a, when we're scared, right? We're going into a new domain. It's okay to be scared of your job search. It's a black box for many of us. We can't see into it. It's not demystified. We don't know what to expect. All we know is there could be rejection and failure there. We don't want to do it. We want to stay where we're comfortable. So we do, and we never get hired. We stay in a postdoc. For 10 years, even if they change the title to research associate, we become an adjunct. We tell ourselves that, oh, I'm a professor now. But you're not really. You're not a full time professor. You're not a tenured professor. You're getting paid essentially what a postdoc does. You're probably getting paid less than some postdocs, depending on the location. You're being overworked and far underpaid. And you've lied to yourself long enough. And you do this because you're emotional, because it's easier. It's easier to stay where you've stayed, it's easier to lie to yourself. Stay in academia and not put yourself out there and really, really try for something new. And when we get into this emotional state, we make all kinds of mistakes. We hear, we see, we look at the data about how to best prepare a resume. We learn from people about the best practices of resumes. We know what works most of the time. But because we're in an emotional state, we hear from a friend of a friend that, oh, if you don't do this on your resume, they're going to ignore you. And then we question everything. Because a friend of a friend said so. We know somebody else in a lab down the hall. And they say, oh, you shouldn't have to network with anybody to get hired. And we're like, oh, they said it. And then you question everything. You question everything cheeky scientists said. Or you question everything that you read and all the data that you saw because you got emotional. We've seen this play out on the world stage this year. When people get emotional and they don't know how to read data 
and they decide not to read data or they decide not to look at models or understand how off models can be or how models change over time, we understand the risk of becoming emotional because it clouds our decisions and it makes us stay where we're comfortable. And we act like scared little kittens, just like I was a scared little kitten in academia after the 2008 financial crisis. I started looking for a job and I heard people were able to do it just by uploading resumes online. That was before 2008 though. So I just uploaded them. I said, no, well, clearly I just need to upload hundreds more. And I did, but I didn't get hired. And then I learned about how you need to network and set up informational interviews, although it wasn't called quote unquote informational interview at the time. I started asking people about their jobs, et cetera. But then I had somebody tell me, you don't need to do that to get hired. You just have to get on a LinkedIn profile and reach out to a couple of recruiters there and find their phone numbers. And I was like, oh, so I just stopped all my informational interviews just like that. Because one person told me to an end value, a sample size of one. Do not be emotional in your job search. Follow the data, the best practices. Understand there's a sequence, just like a protocol. Trust that process that people have used before you to get hired. If you do this, if you avoid these 13 things that I just talked about, these 13 reasons why you're really, the real reasons why you're stuck in your job search or being excluded, you will get hired. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. Like me, have you been seeing more and more articles on universities shutting down their research labs, furloughing employees, cutting postdocs and TAs, and even withdrawing PhD student funding? If so, it might be wise to start taking steps to protect your PhD career. You've worked very hard and very intelligently for years to establish yourself, but likely you have not reached your full career potential yet. Perhaps you're not even getting respect and you're not getting the rewards that you deserve. The good news is you can get into an industry career where you can get paid well for doing meaningful work. All you need is the right knowledge and the right network. The Cheeky Scientist Association gives you lifetime access to the world's number one PhD-only job search training platform with multiple courses and the PhD-only job referral network of over 10,000 plus industry PhDs. Now is your chance to become a lifetime member for 20% off of the association. Just use the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com. P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser Scroll to the orange membership button and click on it and enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. No recurring monthly fees, no recurring annual fees. Nobody else offers this. PhDsGetHired.com. Use the coupon code CheekyRadio. Remember your value as a PhD and remember that knowledge is power and your network is your net worth. (laughs) 